Hello and welcome to Tales from the Leeds Library, the Leeds Library's podcast series in which we talk to members of our extended community about their lives, their work and their relationship to books, libraries and literature. Founded in 1768, the Leeds Library is the oldest surviving subscription library of its kind in the UK and throughout this series we'll also be diving periodically into the library's rich history to find out what makes us and our members one of the most interesting and unique cultural institutions in Leeds and the UK. I'm Molly McGrath, the Projects Assistant at the Leeds Library, and today my guests are Anne and Erin from the Henry Moore Institute's Library and Archives. Anne studied fine art and art history with a library qualification in between, and worked in public libraries and other libraries in Leeds before settling on art libraries. She is now the librarian at the Henry Moore Institute. Erin studied history and philosophy before getting an archive qualification and working in comedy archives and carnival archives, among others. She is now the archivist at the Henry Moore Institute. Hello. Um, Anne and Erin and thank you very much for chatting to me on this podcast. So the Henry Moore Foundation uh, was founded by the artist and his family in 1977 to encourage public appreciation of the visual arts. Today the Institute supports innovative sculpture projects, hosts an imaginative programme of exhibitions and research worldwide and preserves the legacy of Moore himself, one of the great sculptors of the 20th century. I think most people in Leeds would recognise your building on the hedgerow with its kind of shiny black facade next to the Leeds Art Gallery. Um, and it's very striking, it's a very striking and recognisable part of, of central Leeds. But I think fewer people are aware that the Institute doesn't just consist of gallery space but also contains a sculpture research library and archive. So, my first question is can you both tell me a bit about what you do? Um, hi, hi, I'm Anne. I'm the, I'm the librarian here at the uh, Henry Moore Institute Research Library. Um, so um, I really develop and manage the library, um, and we are a reference library, um, open to the public. Anybody can use us, um, and my day is very varied, really. So I can be doing anything from tracking down an elusive publication to renewing a database subscription to grappling with a photocopier, you know, the full <laughs> range. But I'm not a solo librarian, we do have a team. So yeah. um, we have somebody who works with the digital collections and somebody who works with the ephemera and uh, greets people as they come to the Institute. Fantastic. And I'm Erin Hussey and I'm the archivist working at the Henry Moore Institute. So the archive we have here is the Archive of Sculptors Papers and we've been collecting since the 1980s. Um, We have about 320 collections that are about um, individual sculptors and businesses and organisations related to sculpture. So again, my day is very varied, full of researchers and then also developing the collection, finding new collections and making sure they're all catalogued and accessible for everyone so and we are both based on the second floor of the mm. institute so you have to go up the stairs which again i think is yeah. we have the same thing at the, the leeds library we're yeah. just we're just on the second floor the first floor even and that yeah. kind of that extra layer makes people when they they come in for the first time like whoa i had no idea this was here. yeah um so can you talk a little bit about the differences between the different parts of the foundation so Obviously, we have the, the institute, and that consists of the, the gallery space and the libraries and the archive, but then there's also a studio and gardens in Hertfordshire. Yeah, well, Moore set up the foundation in 1977, and initially that was really centred around his former home in uh, Perry Green um, in Hertfordshire. And so he was thinking about his legacy and how to look after his sculpture and how to continue to show his, his work um, and that so all that activity still goes on now in, at um, Perry Green mm-hmm. and studios and gardens um, and so his studios were there and you can you can have a tour of the the workshops you can go around this house um, you can see his work in the landscape as he always wanted um, so that was the early part of the foundation essentially mm. and then within about five years he was thinking about giving something back to the city where he had studied as a student so mm. he'd been um, an art student at Leeds Arts University well is Leeds Arts University now Leeds Art College then um, and um, 
he was thinking about um, setting up something where um, the general public, anybody could see sculpture, because he was very aware that the, when he was studying here, there was nothing in, in Leeds in terms of mm -hmm. contemporary sculpture that he could see. So he wanted to sort of create a, a space that would show contemporary sculpture. And that still exists as part of the art gallery next door. There's those um, galleries at the front of the art gallery um, are other the, 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 um, the areas that more developed essentially. Mm -hmm. And he also left uh, funding for a library. So we were part of those early days as well. Mm -hmm. um, and there's another part to the, 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 the foundation in, the, in terms of grants as well. More was very much about um, you know, supporting sculptors. Um, so we have a grants program that he, he, uh, the legacy um, supports. Um, so that that can be any any kind of project from producing a book to an exhibition, mm. um, and that happens still to this day as well. And I think there are you know there's a few projects that we'll talk about later on. And, and did they come from that grant scheme or are they separate? Um, possibly separate. The grants is very much about. Um, exhibitions held elsewhere so okay. um, the institute's funded as a separate yeah um, and the, I mean the, you kind of mentioned we talked earlier the, the curators come and, and they they use the library to research the exhibitions so there's really a lot of crossover between all the, the different parts which yeah. I really like and the archives yeah. as well yeah so yeah Henry Moore wanted to basically support the like we were saying the collection that was already at the art gallery he didn't see like we said he saw a lot of copies of greek sculpture and things like that mm. that he studied himself but he didn't see a lot of developing of that collection mm. so that still goes on now so we've got a great relationship with the leeds art gallery and we are kind of a institute that will put on the exhibitions but also grow the collection mm. both in the archive and in the actual sculpture collection and the libraries they all kind of flow and a, a lot as well when we are collecting any part of those three um, we might get um, sculptures that will encourage the collection of archives if an artist is wanting to deposit an archive and then that will inform what um, Anne might collect in the mm. library as well so it all kind of flows in what we collect yeah. which is really nice and you can see those kind of patterns and and threads working together I mean that's the whole aim of a, an institute that works on many different levels isn't it yeah. that you, you someone at the beginning of the, their career you help them develop it and then hopefully one day then they become world famous yeah. they can uh, kind of support you in turn and you know donate their archives or yeah. so I'm interested in both of your backgrounds how you kind of became so Erin how you got into archive work yeah. and Anne into to librarianship so do you want to give me a, just a little kind of brief overview of, of your backgrounds um, yeah um, I I studied fine art initially and and then I went on to study Art history and in between I did my library qualifications mm. and all and so I was kind of in education for a long time and I was always working in libraries all the way through and so they, it was always an integral part of my life libraries essentially mm. um, and uh, you know I, I worked in public libraries I worked in libraries in Leeds while, while, before I moved away and then I um, found the sort of ideal job that was working in art libraries. So that brought both of my interests together. And um, yeah, I've stayed in art libraries all the way through. <laughs> so um, yeah, it's been a really great journey, really. I, I yeah. learned so much in all ways through combining the two areas. And, you know, I learned a lot about archives from Erin as well now as well. So there's, there's um, yeah, there's, that's really where I kind of, Mm. Um, so I got into archives, the, the role of a, the archivist in any institute or any institution is kind of a strange one, definitely in comparison to maybe librarians and the curators because, um, so I started off doing a history and philosophy degree because that's where my interests were and then I kind of fell in love with the idea of archives, I remember going to the National Archives and just loving the process of it all and how things were preserved and everything like that. And then, so I did an archive qualification then. Mm -hmm. 
And the thing about archivists, unlike curators, is we're not subject specialists. Our specialisms are how to preserve and how to catalogue. And so in a way, it's a real benefit because I've got to work in so many different archives. I worked in stand-up comedy archives, carnival archives, and art archives of individuals. Um, and then so coming here, it's brilliant. I'm getting to learn so much, but I don't have that art history background. Mm -hmm. But then being able to bounce off people and work with people here who have such a great background in art history and solid knowledge, I think it's a really good kind of team and a good way of, of being here and looking after the collection. So I'm so lucky, I'm learning so much. And I think you, then there's like different perspectives when you have someone who's not necessarily a subject specialist, but is coming to things fresh and learning mm. things new. So That's yeah, really interesting. Absolutely. I really like this, um kind of idea of, of the crossover between the, the, the different kinds of work that you do because I think um, you know you seem like you, you work a lot together and you work a lot with other parts of the institution and with Leeds Arts Museums and Galleries yeah. so but, but I mean obviously they are two separate roles so in terms of the actual material that you deal with I mean so you deal with the archives and you do it with, I mean books and, and objects and papers yeah. but then you have you mentioned the ephemera um, and different kind of categories. So can you talk about the material that you both work with and how that's, I mean, obviously the way that it's organized is incredibly complex, that's your whole yeah. job, but I guess just a, an overview of how, how those are kind of ordered and, and stored. Yeah, um, well, yeah, the, the library essentially is working with published material, so, mm. um, it, but that could be from anything from hard copy books through to digital material. Having said that, we do have some sort of born, born, original born uh, digital material, mm -hmm. so we collect, um, so the exhibitions that we photographed here and they're, they're stored in our um, digital management system, so um, yeah, so, and as I say, the ephemera material, some of that probably reproduces some of the material that's in the archive, mm -hmm. but we have a, a maybe a broader range of artists but less depth, whereas the archive would have uh, greater depth than mm -hmm. obviously uh, the original material so yeah. Um. so yeah there's lots of crossover so the archive is more original material from the artists themselves but then there's a lot of crossover so we'll often get collections that will have lots of other ephemera uh, or duplicated material um, and so we'll have copies in the archive but then we might give some to the library and that informs the artist files which people can look through freely and like Anne was saying there's a lot more range of artists and a lot more collections mm. um, but then there's kind of those strict lines of like secondary material primary material and then when it comes to sculpture itself in the sculpture collection it's very much finished pieces but those lines are constantly mm. blurred mm. and I think especially with um, digital material coming in and often it's the between sculpture and archive, the, the lines are blurred of, yeah. of what the artist sees as an archive and what they see as a, a sculpture or a finished piece or an artwork, and those are debates that are always being had. Sculpture really... must be, I mean, in a way, it's the, the kind of the hardest form to catalogue because it's so to do or, or even write about or produce anything that's not a kind of physical object to do with it because it's so... Uh, yeah, it's three-dimensional and it exists in the world in space, but but you know, at, but you know, there's still all of this written material here that's um, kind of to do with it. Yeah, and I think that's where sometimes with sculpture, the library and the archive can be so important because there's yeah. so many artists whose work is fleeting and it's installations, and so maybe what all that remains of the artwork is publications written about it and the archive that leads up to that mm. and then that could be all that exists so we become the primary source of that mm. information for researchers so and I think one of the one of the projects that really kind of delves into this the way the art the archives work and what archives add to the way that we perceive an artist and the way that we kind of create history and, and yeah. document someone's life is this Paul Becker project which yeah. you told me a bit about before which is um, a fake archive yes. created by someone so yeah can you tell me a bit more about that yeah. story so um, Paul Becker is an artist um, writer and fine art lecturer at Newcastle University 
or at least he was when he yeah came here <laughs> um, to do it. So in 2011, so we run um, as part of the institute fellowships, mm-hmm. and they can be academic fellowships and artist fellowships. Um, so he was an artist that came in kind of with an intervention of the library and the archive, and was reading all of these biographies. Um, of a certain generation of artists and a lot of what we have in the archive and like I said the library as well and he wanted to kind of focus on yeah those histories those kind of lost biographies those lost artists Mm. and so what he wanted to do was he created a whole persona and a whole biography of this artist who like I said had a lot of the same biography as so many artists that we have in the archive so being born at the turn of the 20th century wanting to study art and going and but that being kind of halted by world war one um which is a similar experience to henry moore um and then he was kind of pulling on our other archives such as gertrude hermes and betty ree and saying that he socialized with all of these people Mm. and so he created letters and sketchbooks and drawings and even maquettes to fully form this artist so it's a really interesting archive because it's unlike anything that's ever been produced before really and it was just a lovely way of someone coming in and using the archive and the library and then being able to contribute to our collection and yeah our archive and library isn't just about these individuals it's addressing wider wider discussions in in sculpture well I, i like it as a piece because i think it 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 kind of um highlights how much we're reliant on these systems of of history making and archiving which are flawed they're as flawed as the people who who run them and look after them and build them and you know that is no comment on your (laughs) (laughs) archival skills at all but it's so interesting how easily these systems can be corrupted or played with um is that was this the the your museum's podcast that I was listening to? Somewhere I was think um, heard the story of of a man who created. Um, he worked with this teacher who who made these uh, fakes, and then he had access to the Tate archive somehow and kind of manipulated them. So he and then to increase the value of these fake artworks. Oh, yeah. I don't know much about that story. Was that yeah. what that was? I don't know. It was somewhere. It was, anyway, oh, I, it's, it's, I thought another, that's another kind of story that shows how... Yeah. The, I mean, we have these, these systems to record information so that we, you know, we have the correct version so, of... We, we can know more, we can learn more, but yeah. that means that they can so easily be uh, tampered with Yeah, and definitely. And I think, yeah, it shows that how how things have been collected in the past mm. and it yeah forces us to look at how we're collecting in the future yeah as exactly well. yeah. yeah well collecting with an eye to preserving things for you know an indefinite amount of time yeah. and I know we were talking we'll talk a bit about the digital later but about kind of digital archiving and you know that's not always a foolproof process things you know that we can view now might not be viewable with technology in 100 years yeah exactly yeah we have to i think we take it for granted sometimes in archives we're collecting we're often collecting things so far Mm. in the past and we really have to look at what's being created now i think some museums are being forced to look at this or not forced to but like digital artworks are being created and Mm. now we have to look more at what is being created by an artist now even yesterday i was having discussions with artists about their emails Mm. and often it's like thinking about cultural Mm. norms of i don't think any of us are saving emails yeah like none of us are doing it it's something we have to think about now yeah yeah and it's really interesting what happens is like yeah a cultural change before we can say how we're going to collect them and things i mean i it must be interesting then that you have both quite differing backgrounds because you are probably you can see the kind of ways that being an artist or having an interest in art feeds into the way that you collect whereas you know I I have a a background in art history and English so again this is like the perfect intersection of exactly what I'm interested in but maybe sometimes that kind of like real kind of love and passion for these subjects kind of 
gets in the way? I don't know. Maybe that's a silly question. I, I do think that um, when we see students come to use the library, I, I, and we often give tours to, and introductions to students and mm. visitors generally, but I often think about back to the time when I was a, a student and think, I really wish I'd paid attention to the things that were being shown to me and kind of, you know, actually took up the opportunities that were, yeah. that, you know, because sometimes you're so busy working your work and you're thinking about your own things, but, you know, you, you maybe don't, you don't take the time to go along to that lecture or, you know, use the resources that are around mm. you. So we're really keen to try and, you know, make sure that people yeah. certainly are studying in Leeds know about us and make the most of the library well, you, I mean you are a fantastic mm. resource and it must be so rewarding when someone like Paul Becker creates a piece of work that is that kind of comes from the resources that you have so I don't know if you have any other um, examples of, of projects or material that's been published or anything that's come from from these, this institution yeah I mean the, You've made me think straight away about. I'm, I don't hope, don't want to steer this podcast to completely about fakes and forgeries, <laughs> but uh, I have to mention this, and then I'll go back to some more traditional ways people have used the the library, but and the archive. But um, another fellow that comes to mind um, who came here a few years ago, probably. 2018, something like that, um, was Sean Lynch, who. Um, he came here to, uh, in a different way, it, using using the time he has as fellowship, not just to use the library and archive to, 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 to do the research there, but also to talk to people and find these stories about um, local history and these sort of forgotten characters. And that's mm. very much how he makes his work. So he was here for a month. He also visited museums around the region. He went to Whitby. Um, he, he saw some uh, exhibits of... Uh, flint objects should we say <laughs> megalithic axe heads etc on display and um, in his conversations with the curators and being here and talking to, to staff here um, he developed a project which was shown in the library um, about an artist we'll call him an artist no he wasn't an artist he was a, he was a sort of rogue vagabond character <laughs> i'm now thinking of as an artist but he was, a, he was a, he, um, called, now we know him as flint jack now mm. that's, that's that was the title of the exhibition that we had here and sean um uh brought some of these objects that were in museums that were labeled made by flint jack mm. and showed them in the library spaces in in a kind of created a, a sort of music museum within the library shelves mm. of these objects um, and this this character essentially in the 19th century spent his life creating these objects and then selling them to museums so they are still part of um, collections around the country um, and um, Sean also created this whole story around this figure and told the, 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 um, his life story and presented them in these cases, as I say, in the library. And it was a lot about kind of questioning the authority of the library yeah. and museums and that, exactly what you were saying beforehand about what, how something enters a collection and becomes part of that history and yeah. what do we know about it and where, you know, all that, that history that surrounds it. Yeah. Well, there's obviously something in the, the presence of all of these archives and and your your boxes mm. out there, the ephemera that mm. that are to do with artists and their lives, that makes that you know that clearly makes people question the way that we are represented in the objects that we kind of leave behind us or 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 that we work with, um, and and makes people kind of creatively wonder how yeah, they can play with that and, and disturb yeah, that. Yeah, I think it, think it, it makes artists think about the, the, the record and their legacy as well in terms yeah. of how, what, how something goes down in history as being the authority on that, that subject. So yeah, it, it, it is something. I think the library doesn't, beyond kind of providing access to information, it does inspire people mm. to make, have creative projects as well. So. Um, you know, we've seen an awful. They, those are the projects that often stick in our minds as well yeah. because they're so fun as well for yeah. us to to see come through and yeah. you know hear about and and just you know and it brought so many people to the institute. It's part of Yorkshire Sculpture International yeah. exhibition and it was it was it was really great for the library and people still come back and say, oh, I saw, I remember seeing something here. So yeah, it's it was a really good legacy. Mm. In terms of it's nice. Um, I we talked to Eva Larkin from the Arts University Special Collections. And she talked about some of the 
the works that they had that were kind of about the collections or exploring what a book could be or like playing with the idea of what a book was and I like those those bits of work that sit really kind of midway between being yeah being a research project and being an artwork and explore that kind of obviously because that is exactly the kind of <laughs> middle ground that I'm really interested in but so we've talked a bit about your different roles and and the way that you work with the material but I'm really interested in how you I mean each of you acquire new material um so I don't I mean Anne I don't know if you have a, an acquisitions policy yeah um I mean you would think sculpture would be quite a discreet area that would be manageable and yeah. you know you wouldn't you could you wouldn't have to think too much about you know the acquisition policy but we've got quite a detailed acquisition policy and um, it's a mixture. It's also it's thinking about how um, sculpture has changed and how you categorise it. You know, mm. in terms of how it mixes with other disciplines like architecture, um, and but also you know that that range as well. So you know, sculpture across the world and what that means as well. So, so the way we kind of tackled it is so that we we don't. <laughs> explode with material is we we have priority areas where and and that is a lot to do with our relationship with the archive so post 1850 we collect British sculpture and we say that we try collect comprehensively which again is a rather impossible task mm. but you know what the the ephemera collections those are part of that idea of collecting in depth so the idea of that particular area is so that somebody who really is working at an advanced level can really come and dig deep and really work up that original uh, research in mm. terms of what they produce. Um, having said that, we also are really strong on a sort of modern contemporary international sculpture. Mm. So we have another level where we think about, you know, students in the area who might want to sort of follow a theme through various countries and periods and so we're good on that and we get lots of gifts from uh, visiting artists the mm. artists that we're connected to through the exhibitions um, so yeah we're very good oh, we have an exchange program as well so we exchange with other libraries around the world and um, the grants also give us mm. a, a, a catalogue if we've given a grant to a, an exhibition so that's a growing area as well really good and then the rest of the world is really kind of like oh, the rest of the different periods. We kind of just have a sort of introductory level. So if somebody wants to come and study Chinese sculpture of the Meiji period or something, we might have a section that would start you off so you can start mm -hmm. thinking about that. Um, and if we've had an exhibition or an event that's brought more material in, there might be a sort of pocket that is a bit richer in that area, for example. So. Yeah, so that's how we manage the sort of whole world of sculpture. Yeah. Um, and apart from all the kind of, as I say, the areas where it bumps up to other disciplines and, you know, we have to decide whether a video piece is sculptural mm. or whether film can be sculptural. I'm sure Erin's got examples of that. Um, um, whether, you know, kind of sculpture and decorative arts, sculpture and architecture, gardens. You mm. know, there are lots of ways and where people, you may not realise you're looking at sculpture or what the history of that relationship is. So, mm. yeah, it's a big field. <laughs> I can imagine, and I'll also imagine that a lot of it is is keeping on top of what's happening in in the world of contemporary yeah. sculpture and tracking that and keeping on top of you know new publications and acquiring those as well as like retroactively kind of filling in any gaps. Yeah, I mean we do both of that at the same time. So yeah, we would. We would sort of scan. The, we we have the most journals about contemporary art. Mm. And we would scan the listings of what's on and try and make sure we get the exhibition catalogues of things that are being shown. And then, if there is a subject that's coming up that might be an event or uh, an exhibition, we might look back at what our holdings. So, with glass, for example, the show at the mm. moment, you know, we were looking at what we've got and where we, you know, could sort of. Uh, develop it a little bit more and some of the artists in the show have given us catalogues so that's really good as well so yeah we've enriched that area <laughs> <laughs> and then Erin how do you go about acquiring new material for the archive is it does it mostly come through donations or you do you actively kind of seek to acquire 
new collections and material. So our archive focuses on British sculpture from 1850 onwards um, and so it's kind of, it happens in various ways, various lovely ways and different relationships with different people. So often um, we might get funding for a sculpture or just a, just a sculpture will become available and the Leeds Art Gallery collection will be interested in that and then an archive might come organically through that. So we have such a variety of archives um, that can range from full archives of, of sculptors in their entire life mm. um, and then sometimes we'll have smaller ones like um, just about certain projects which might echo the sculpture in the sculpture collection and so it comes from many different relationships so we have fellows and researchers in that might have connections with different artists who might then become interested in in the archive and what it can do and we're often we're often just trying to raise awareness of what we do here mm. and why it's important to collect and how it could benefit an artist as well because we're a place where their artworks and their archive can be accessible and it can be used by researchers and academics um, but to certain artists will have different views of their their legacy and how important it is to protect that and so mm. we're often trying to encourage artists to realize how important it is to keep their things and the role we can have in that so mm. and it's lots of different relationships there, there could be talks that are held here or exhibitions that are held here and then artists will become aware of what we do and we might get their get their archive through there as well. it's really interesting we were talking about how you kind of decide what gets included in an archive and what doesn't and yeah. how artists might have a different view of what's valuable in the material that they work with to an archivist or to the institute in, in general yeah so we were talking about like how yeah how in-depth an archive could be what is important to the life of an artist and what would academics want to see or researchers in a hundred years time mm. and we have we have many collections from from like I said the 1850s onwards and um, we have many personal things and personal photographs and things which really from such a long time ago really help inform mm. who that person was an artist nowadays might not think that that is valuable to who they are and their and their life and and their artwork mm. um and like you're saying is a receipt important but that could be really interesting to mm. see what they were doing and who they were buying from who their suppliers were yeah. and things like letters um are really give a glimpse into people's lives and who they were working with and and things like that but it's often really up to the artist and mm. I think those are it's really interesting to have those conversations with artists as well and because they could just think well only sketches like I did my sketches and that informed the artwork and that could be the only thing you're interested in yeah but we're always saying that we're interested in the whole idea of your career how did you get to it it wasn't just where did your ideas come from what was your yeah. source material um and everything like that so it's having those conversations of what's important to an artist and is it just I mean are you having conversations? Is it living artists then that are, are currently working that are donating their archives? Do you ever get ones from from ages ago? And is there a difference in the way that you kind of uh, think about that material or, or or work with it or or process it or store it? Yeah, definitely. So if we're working with living practicing art artists, um, it's often sometimes it's often the um, archives from their early work that they're mm -hmm. looking more to donate. The ones that they've kind of nicely packaged in their minds or physically and are kind of finished with it and are happy to happy mm. to give um so they're not often curated really by themselves um and you know a lot of artists that are practicing could also be using their archives actively mm. throughout their careers and it's really interesting when we get full collections at the end of an artist's life such as we have the archive of helen chadwick which is 135 mm. boxes that came wow. to us from basically her house and her studio and everything's been kept in its original order mm. and you can see how she was using her early work in her later work so 20 years later she was using things mm. and going back to them so it's great both ways really you yeah. can have such an active conversation with living artists getting them to kind of think about how they want to be remembered and then other archives come to us like that and 
people are able to just delve in and yeah. see it as it as it was and as the artist was living through it so yeah. it's such a range it's really interesting this idea of of self-archiving and self-editing in that yes. way it's yeah. well i suppose it's far more attached to to your ego really than than like a final finished you know exhibition that's slightly different than a personal archive and and yeah, yeah i guess yeah. some artists might be more comfortable than others i think about this i piece all the time um, it's like a you know, Andy Warhol's uh, time capsules where he, he he was like a real hoarder and he just like put everything in boxes and sent them away to a storehouse and then like a hundred years later not yeah. you know like years later they were opened by the Andy Warhol Museum or something and then archived and it's just loads of rubbish but also you know really interesting objects as well yeah it's like a lot of artists especially like I said from 150 years ago I'm sure they never thought that any of yeah. their material would be in an archive let alone yeah so many years later yeah. and I think the idea of archives are constantly I think in more people's minds now um you've got I mean arts archives have existed for a long time national record offices obviously have existed for a long time but even things like football clubs are now looking at their archives and big institutions are looking at their own legacies even museums are looking at their own histories mm. and so it, it feels like it's more in the mind of artists now I, I yeah that some of the things we've collected say from the past 30 years mm. it kind of feels like the artists weren't thinking necessarily and, and weren't maybe self-curating mm. and then but it's so interesting going forward and having that yeah having that I wonder what you think that you, I mean, the, the ephemera as well that you have for people researching. Um, I'm wondering what you both think that you can't tell from an archive, from someone's personal archive, as opposed to what you can. Because obviously, you know, there's, there's a million and one things you can learn from someone's, you know, personal objects. But I'm wondering what you, what you kind of, what you can't tell about someone's work. Um, well, what you make me think of in that question is um, the National Life Stories interviews that we're involved in here mm -hmm. at the Institute um, you can access through the library as well where they they um, it's a project run by the British Library to interview not just artists but figures across society as it were um, and um, they they it's very much like a social history project as mm -hmm. well and that you know they they really go into depth about somebody's you know what it felt like to be in a certain exhibition and those kind of relationships with people they had and sometimes I know that may come through in letters etc but to hear an artist speak about some of that is, mm. is fascinating as well and they don't often think it's important that you know why are you asking me about the you know kind of the way the studio looked or felt or how cold it was and it's it's those kind of you know kind of memories are, qu are quite interesting in terms of um the the the, the feeling of a moment of it for an artist mm. in making a work and you know what might have uh, affected how they make decisions as it mm. were so um i think that's important yeah um, yeah i think it's those personal touches we had an event recently that we were talking to families about their um, their family members who are associated with sculpture in our collection and they were talking about one another family member doing an interview and doing an impression because mm. the the artist was never recorded but they did an impression of their mother like and her accent and how she had these little terms yeah. and it's like those are the things that you don't always yeah. get and so and that's another thing like the archive can only tell you so much so we're always trying to feed back to the library and those interviews are so amazing yeah. for people to sit to, to listen to to get that kind of personal touch there's yeah. something about the voice and the, like you said those experiences that might not be written down like you said the, how the studio felt might not be something that they've ever written down I mean I don't I've never written down how it feels to work in an archive mm. so you know this recording itself it adds to adds that yeah. story yeah. doesn't I mean, it we, we all have those those images in our 
collections where we've recorded a street view for no reason and then you know you look at it 20 years later and you yeah. think oh, that's really interesting I never you know but it wasn't the one where it photographed something important to you but it's the kind of background things mm. that you walk past every day or something so that sort of information is it's you know can only be sort of <laughs> recorded from from maybe the artist when they're alive yeah yeah I think I'm so fascinated by these these artist files I think they're so interesting um but I mean so in general the the library well libraries in general and archives in general and I say this with with so much love and affection for them they're not super glamorous places <laughs> um they wouldn't they're not necessarily what you would you know quote unquote call fun um but actually they are really amazing uh repositories of information and yeah they're incredible and and especially you know this institute which is free to use is an amazing resource so i'm i'm kind of interested in how what what you both think are, are the kind of the ways that we should be engaging people in in these libraries and archives and i guess also what what the barriers are there for people um in accessing them or becoming interested in them. I mean, it's something we think about and talk about a lot. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's constantly um, something on our minds. But I, I suppose, you know, thinking as the staff, as a team, we work to really inspire people to think about sculpture broadly. So mm. there's a lot of um, movement between people coming in to see an exhibition downstairs and being seeing something there and thinking, wow, and, you know, and then... Our information staff always telling people to come up to the library you know there is an archive here so um, you know that kind of movement in terms of people may want to follow up on it and as I say we might just have a few you know general interest in what the library is about so uh, it is difficult when, as because we are tucked away on this Mm. above the galleries and there is a sort of staircase that looks like you're heading for some offices but you know if if you kind of um if people can get the sense that we are open to anybody you can come along you can spend time you don't have to have anything particular to look at you can just come and see the space and be in the space and you know just use it as a place to think about not necessarily sculpture even just art in general and mm. see where where it takes you it's a place to discover as well i mm. think it's very it's very um a creative inspiring place as well and it it's calming it's a really yeah. it's really good for your mind yeah. to sit and think take yourself out of the moment and think about something you haven't really thought of before and just mm. have a browse the books yeah, yeah definitely yeah i think yeah there's always that we obviously love archives and libraries <laughs> and like i said both of our experiences is been being in them for so mm. many years but you forget sometimes we try and always remember that it's not necessarily true that everyone's been to an archive before. I meet people, a lot of research ev researchers every week have said, I've never used an archive, by the way, so let me know if I'm doing anything wrong. Mm. Um, and there is that, that, that little bit of a barrier. But like I said, it's so nice here. It's a, such a wooden little haven mm. in the middle of the city to come and explore the exhibition and then just find this lovely, safe, calm space upstairs to explore anything, you know, mm. and, and just ask those questions or just explore on your own. And like Anne was saying, you don't have to know exactly what you want to see. We can always help you. If you have mm. one little subject area that you'd like to explore, anything really, um, we're always here to help. And we try and get things out on social media and things like yeah. that just to become more more yeah. accessible. Well, that's, I mean, that's a real value in grounding um, your experience of an artwork in knowledge about it. Because I think, you know, when you walk into a gallery and maybe it's a big white cube and it, you know, you have this these artworks which maybe you don't understand immediately, it's, it can make it quite inaccessible and 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 feel quite distant and and like this amazing thing that you are not part of whereas you know when when galleries and artworks are attached to a library or attached to an archive you know grounding a sculptor's work in their everyday objects makes it more real and more accessible and more understandable i think and um that's a really amazing resource and it's, have. and it's not just, I mean, we have audiovisual material as well, so yeah. people can watch 
uh, past events and talk and listen to talks here and yeah and you know you, you, you can sort of surround yourself in the subject without mm-hmm. and just look at the images and it, it, as I say you don't have to be an expert in, to find your way around yeah our library in particular is open access as well which is a is a real a real boon at the moment I mean to to go to a library and just be able to wander the shelves it's 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 really great for discovery in terms of finding subjects that you didn't realize you were interested in (laughs) and clearly that really um you know quite holistic way of of experiencing art and working with art was part of henry moore's vision but i wanted to i mean quickly talk to you guys about um digital obviously digital is really interesting because it wasn't it just wasn't a thing when when the institute was kind of first first developed so i guess working with that is a whole separate thing and i think with with heritage and archives and libraries there's often this kind of misconception or expectation that everything is available digitally um this exactly the same as it is physically yeah. and it's you know one just replicates the other um, whereas actually it's more, I would say, about enriching and, and you know, doing different projects and sharing. So I'm wondering what your thoughts are and how you kind of bring digital media into, into the work you do. Yeah. So the library are doing a lot, so I will let <laughs> talk about that. But um, in terms of the archive, I think it was especially really present in the pandemic mm. when researchers were suddenly all over the world and all grounded and it was very much like can we get this information and I think just generally with the Google age um, more and more academics are expecting everything to be online Um, and so it was an interesting time to respond to inquiries and ideally we'd love everything to be digitized and digital um, but unfortunately it's not but we're trying to get that way so Mm. it can be more accessible to people um, and in terms of digital collecting, it's just a constantly evolving yeah. thing in archives. And I think the whole archive profession is like, what is everyone else doing? <laughs> <laughs> like, how are you storing all of this? But we're very open to those those developments. And we have some computer drawings even that mm. um, in our collection. So thinking about new ways that artists are creating and how we can support that. Mm. And also thinking about digital material um, that we can digitise before it's not viewable anymore. Mm. So, and being able to show and make it accessible to people. So, and like we were saying earlier, there are some artworks such as installations that only exist now on Mm. AV. And so it's really important for us and our role that we're digitising that and we're the centre of how how people can access Mm. that. And it throws up loads of interesting debates I think in the archive world about loaning as well we have a lot of digital material like AV uh, like um, sorry audio and then video like I said that might be the only existing copies and it's like how do you loan that Mm. what's the original piece can some can another museum hold a copy of that and is that okay is that the original or what is what is the audio vision what is the digital thing you know I think the whole world is kind of having that debate, really, aren't they? Yeah. With NFTs and whatever the hell they yeah, are. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I decided to ignore that, yeah, that, I, uh, um, yeah. that, that concept until I really need to. Yeah. But yeah, it's a really, it's just constantly, nearly in every meeting that comes up about acquiring new things, it's always, but what about digital? Mm. And we're rethinking our collections development policy over at Leeds Museums and Galleries and how to incorporate the digital into that. Mm. So yeah, it's forever evolving. People are more demanding, but that pushes us to make sure that we are up to date with how to store things, how to make them accessible. Um, I see. I would say the archives sort of lots in terms of, <laughs> but the, the li- the library sort of transitioned in certain areas into sort of working with digital material. So, um, you know, it, it, we've always uh, um, photographed the exhibitions and talks have been recorded, and then that became a digital activity essentially. So we developed this digital management system where that is stored essentially, mm. and that's available for anybody to look at. Comes to the institute, and then there's this whole what what how things go online and then 
you know, kind of using social media. So we're kind of sort of ch chartering a new course now there. So um, a lot of it, you know, is working with the actual speakers about their rights, you know, whether they want to put their material online. So we're doing what we can and trying to encourage that. And then, um, but we're also, we've always tried to sort of um, showcase our collection. So, so in the room we're in now, we have lots of special collections, the mm -hmm. older material, the artist books. Um, so we've tried to sort of choose items from there that people can't really get a sense of from a library catalogue. Mm -hmm. And they can't come in here and browse this bit of the library. So we kind of showcase those through digital media and, and maybe looking more to make sort of films that kind of excite people and entice people in. And yeah. um, and we've done a little bit of that already, but we hope hope to go forward with that a, a bit. And it's all about that, you know, trying to develop curiosity and interest and people just knowing that we've got it. So yeah, getting it out there in that way. But yeah, I think we're at the early stages of it yeah. really. <laughs> um, thank you so much for chatting to me. This has been so sure. fascinating. Um, and it's nice to actually, we are, for listeners, we are recording this at the Henry Moore Institute in the library, um, or the archives even. Um, so it's nice to be on the road yeah, <laughs> ish, even though we're about five minutes away. Um, finally, I mean, finally, finally, how can people find out more about you guys? So obviously, the, the Henry Moore Institute is on the hedgerow, um, it's very recognisable, but how, how can people find out more about the work that you do? Yeah, as, well, you come to the Institute, we, obviously we have a presence online through the, the website and through social media and our events. You can sign up for newsletters um, through the website as well, tell you about events at the Institute. But yeah, just come in as well and don't be, don't think it's, you know, something that's not, not accessible to mm. you. Take the, 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 the leap and go up the stairs and you know, we you'd be welcome to use the library. Um and we're open every day, so if if you, even on a Sunday there's some opening hours as well. So um and there's no appointment needed for the libraries but um slightly different for the archives. Yeah, so we're a bit more restricted but it's um we have kind of a personal experience with booking people in. So mm -hmm. we're open um in the library five days a week, um ten till five and it's appointment booked through me but in that way we get to discuss what you'd like to see mm. and kind of run through all of that so it's an appointment but you get a lot out of booking the appointment yeah um so yeah and it's and you know it's a great experience to have that flow of coming to the library and then you might discover things that you'd see in the archive and we try and get things out on social media as well and we're doing more video content so yeah follow us on all social medias um and yeah through the website we're going to try and put more content online all the yeah. time so yeah we're here we're always here and ready to answer any questions fantastic well let's wrap it up there thanks so much guys thank you. <laughs> This has been a podcast from the Leeds Library. Links to more information about our guests and any works talked about can be found in the description. If you'd like to find out more about the Leeds Library and any of our upcoming events, please visit our website at www.theleedslibrary.org.uk or you can follow us on Twitter, Instagram or Facebook at the Leeds Library. Thank you for listening and keep your eyes and ears peeled for more tales from the Leeds Library in our future episodes released every Wednesday.